Hello, everyone. This is Andrew Gaze, and you're listening to the Left Coast Pirates. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate, from San Diego, California, he is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Happy Halloween Eve, everybody, and welcome to Season 3 of the Left Coast Pirates. As you heard in the intro, he's Mike Deziri, and I'm Tom Kaharski, and we're back Doing what we love, talking about all things Seton Hall Pirates basketball. Mikey, hey, can you believe we're in season three of the podcast? Can we believe we're even playing college basketball right now? I just, I never thought this summer was going to end. I just, it felt like the schedule, the virus, the uncertainty, just so much of the unknown was was never going to end up with us getting to this point where the season was going to kick off. So season preview week is an exciting part of the year for most fans. And it's part of the the podcast that I love the most because we start diving into all the what ifs. We get to talk to, to some of the coaches and some of the prognosticators out there and really kind of go behind the scenes and, and take a look into the season. So yeah, man, season three, let, let's do it. You know, what's crazy is it's it's been almost eight months and it felt like almost eight years since we had college basketball going on. But this week, both the men's and the women's teams participated in the Big East Media Day. And now I'm just chomping at the bit, chomping at that bit to get in front of my TV so I can watch some basketball. It was quite the appetizer, man. You got Kevin Willard leading the quote book. Oh, here we go. Deep thoughts already. I'm the one normally picking on Kevin for not giving me enough. And he's highlighting the show out of the 11 coaches. It was it was interesting. Uh, so, yes, it, it gets the juices flowing. It puts college basketball on the front page of Twitter. Yeah, I'm excited, Tom. I don't know what you want me to say at this well, point. Well, thank God, because, you know, as Andrew Gase called it, 2020 has been a shithouse, Mike. It's ha- but it's had some moments for me, man. We had some great guests this summer and surprisingly some fun interviews. Mike, tell me, what was your favorite interview this year? favorite interview come on that's just not fair i mean that you you can't do that to all the guests that we had on and just single out one specific interview i mean we we, we do that to some of the other guests on the the walk the plank just to tease them now you're gonna do that to me that's not fair here's what i'll do I'll, i'll give you some of my favorite moments all right I loved Sterling Gibbs breaking down his game winner at the Garden in the Big East tournament against Nova. I loved Remus Kalkanis reminiscing about the Sweet 16 run back in in 2000. The firsthand account from Danny Calandrillo talking about the infamous Georgetown snowstorm game. He set the record straight. There were all these like rumors about how it all went down. We got Danny telling us how it was. And then last but not least, you got Andrew Gaze going through the triumphs and heartbreak of the Seattle Final Four back in 89. I mean, 
all those moments were awesome. And, and those were just a few that scratched the surface of what we got to talk about. But for me, with all the awesome stories that took us down memory lane, I personally enjoy listening to all the players describe their interactions with their head coach. And this summer, we got a glimpse of all of them from Willard going back to Raf. We covered the whole spectrum. We got funny stories. We got insights. We got to see different parts of their personality that you didn't think existed. It's just, it, it's fun. The summer series to me is, is what really makes this podcast extra special outside of covering the team during the the ins and outs of the season. Mike, you're going soft on me. I ask you to pick when you can't do it. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to pick one. You know, I was totally shocked at how much I enjoyed the Remus Caucanus interview. You know, when he came in and he said Doug Collins's kid, Chris Collins, when he was an assistant coach going, hey, who is this Caucanus kid? We're going to kill him. Dude, I almost fell out of my chair. That was great stuff. Well, that, that was the best part of the interactions is they were interactive, right? We were, they were telling stories. They were laughing. We were laughing along with them. It kind of made it for like a journey. It didn't feel like we were doing an interview. It really felt like we were just having like a, a fireside conversation, drinking beers and talking about these games. That, that, that's why it was so much fun. But Mike, I'm going to tell you, you know what my favorite moment related to Seton Hall basketball was this year. What it was, was it, it was earlier this year when I got a chance to fly back for senior night. And man, the entire day was great. I spent the day wandering around my old haunts. I met up with friends and family before the game. But one of the more special times was in the afternoon, Michael, when I was invited to watch the women's team practice in preparation for their biggest tournament game against Butler. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, Tommy. I'm, I'm a little bit jealous here, right? You know, I, I heard that Coach Bazella rolled out the red carpet for you. I mean, based on the King's welcome that you described, I'm surprised he didn't invite you to sit down and break down some film. <laughs> I, I would have loved it. I would have loved sitting in there seeing what's going on, Mike. I would have. You know what? The best part is then you really would have been jealous. I know how much of the minutia you like to look into, man. I'm an X's and O's guy. If, if, if Tony actually brought you into the media room to go over a film session with the team and you get to participate, yes. All joking aside, then I would have been super jealous. Well, you know what was crazy? You know, last year when we talked to Tony and uh, during the preview of the women's season, you know, we asked him what he looks for and he said, pace, pace and spacing. He loves that pace and spacing. And let me tell you, in his practice, you could see it. It was really evident that that's what he pushes for. Well, I mean, t Tony brings that same kind of pace to his interview. He's a, he's a ball of energy. He's a mile a minute. He's excited about the next question. We, we, it's hard to get him on to the next question. He's got so much energy. You know, we do mostly focus in on the men's team, Mike, but we're, we're continuing that tradition. We're going to interview Coach Bazella right now and preview the women's season, and we're excited. The, the team is good. I mean, I know they don't get the same fanfare as the men's team, but where Tony has gotten that program from where it was before on an annual basis, they are competing for postseason berths, whether it's the NIT or a spot in the NCAA tournament or fighting for a big East tournament title. I mean, they're, they're playing an exciting brand of basketball. What was that? The game against DePaul was in the, in the eighties in the big East tournament. That's, that's a high level of offensive basketball and energy and pace, as you described that Tony and his teams bring to the court. So yeah, I mean, if, if you don't follow the women's team, that's okay, I guess, if you're more of a men's guy. But there's a lot of fun basketball out there that the women bring to the table. There's a lot of fun, and let's bring them on here.
He is entering his eighth year as the Seton Hall women's basketball head coach. Please welcome back to Left Coast Pirates Live, Tony Bazella. Coach, how are you doing this evening? I am doing great, Tom. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm super excited and um, I'm just praying we play. That's all. I know it's late on the East Coast there, almost 10 o'clock. You got to bring the energy like Tom now. That's a tough, uh, tough level to kind of maintain throughout the entire interview. So good luck. Thanks, Mike. And you know, it is a lot of energy that Tom brings. Uh, so I got to get myself going. Let me get another cup of coffee. All, all joking aside, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. So, so normally we were hoping that by the time the season rolled around, we would be able to kind of stop asking the same introductory question. But 2020 and the pandemic, it just continues to be one kind of crazy ride. So as always, uh, how are you doing? And how is the family relative to the COVID-19 situation? Is everybody healthy and safe? I appreciate you asking. Yeah, we're, we're blessed. Um, my wife works in New York City, um, but fortunately she can work from home most of the time. She right now works in the city two days every other week. She works for a bank there. Um, and she's been very busy from at home, helping out with the PP loans, managing a group of people in her department. And then my son is in his junior year at NYU studying film. So he's taking um, his classes remotely. It's a tremendous internship remotely as well, but it's really interesting. He gets to um, read scripts and watch uh, movies that this production company is thinking of releasing. So that's been great. And my daughter is um, in PA school at St. Elizabeth University, and she will be graduating in December and then going on to her nine five-week rotations. So it's been good. And uh, I just got a one-year-old puppy, so he's keeping me really busy. What's their take with the whole virtual learning? Is it something they've actually enjoyed or has it been frustrating? I think frustrating. I, I think for Sam, you know, she's going in two times a week right now, but obviously she did a lot of virtual. Um, and it's hard because in PA, you need to have a lot of hands-on experience. And it was frustrating. And for Joe, you know, he loved NYU. You know, he had a lot of good friends there. He enjoyed obviously exploring the city and, and doing all those things. So it's been a little frustrating for him as well. He's been able to do a lot of his work and, um, NYU is tremendous remotely. So, you know, he's been able to do it. Obviously, he's missed out the experience of, I think, more of the social experience of NYU, which is so great. But I do think, you know, hopefully they can both, uh, especially him, get back next September because for his senior year, I certainly want, want him at NYU. Frustrating. I'm glad you used the word frustrating because I'm going to use that to segue into my next question here, right? So this Wednesday at Media Day, relative to the coronavirus, you were quoted as saying there's no way – we're going to be able to, to play with a 14-day quarantine. How is football able to test out, but basketball can't? Coach, if there wasn't an undertone of frustration there, I don't know. I agree with you, though. I mean, I totally agree with your opinion here, but what is the solution that the NCAA, NCAA has to implement, considering that there are way more basketball programs than there are football programs? No, and I, I think you're right with, 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 with trying to get a balance here, but – we have to get a balance that, that can work. And this can't work this way. You can't ask someone to have their whole program sit out for not just 14 days. It's 14 days where you can't do anything. And then it's five to seven days where we have to re-up them and get them into conditioning, get them running, and get them doing all those things. So we're talking shutting your program down for 21 days before you can really have any type of competition. And it's just not going to work. And it's not just your players, it's your staff, it's your trainers, it's your SID, it's everyone in your group of approximately 25 to 30 people in your group. 
And I don't understand. I'll use Trevor Lawrence, for example. He gets sick. Clemson, their whole team tests out. They all can play this weekend. And he's eligible to come back within 10 days. I don't understand the difference between that and us who are basically out for close to 20 days. And if this happens on January 8th, from January 8th to January 28th, your, your program is shut down. You're going to miss six, eight games. And then you're going to re-up against teams that have been playing, let alone two weeks from there, someone else can get sick. And, you know, guys, we're not just talking about our players. We're talking about if a referee does your game. Or if you play, for example, Connecticut on Friday, but they had played on Wednesday, and then when you get the test back on Saturday after you play them Friday, they had a positive. All our teams are shut down. It, it, it's very it's very difficult. And I've been a big proponent of there's only one way to play it right now. And, um, I'm, I, you know, I will see what happens. Well, Tom and I were talking about it, and you have conferences and football making the decisions in terms of guidance and the protocol, and now you have the NCAA kind of mandating the direction and guidance relative to college basketball. It seems like there's more of a focus on the well-being of the individual student-athlete in these decisions, whereas I hate to say it, football is being driven by the money. I, I, I mean, we can't ignore that. I agree with you, and, and, and I understand we're, we're, we're here to protect the student-athlete first and foremost, which is what I love about our alma mater, Seton Hall. They are, they, they, they've been ahead of the game, and they've been great. But is it really protecting the student-athlete from a, a mental welfare where if someone gets sick even outside your program, your trainer, your SID, your manager, a coach, you have 15 young men or ladies, 13 men on scholarship or 15 ladies, sitting in a dorm room, quarantined for 14 days by themselves, getting three meals a day delivered to them when they feel perfectly fine. I don't know if that's the right mental you know, way to do this. So I understand the safety and I'm all about safety. I have two kids that are basically college aged and I'm at the other end, I'm at a risk age for older. But if everyone else is feeling so good, that's the problem. I, I have, my friend is the head coach of Marquette and she said it's really frustrating for her girls. They had a, a, someone outside their basketball players get sick. And these young ladies feel great, but they're quarantined in a room and it's becoming a very tough mental challenge to them each and every day because they're not allowed to leave. So you're basically in a 14-day bubble. Well, I mean, we could talk about this to we're blue in the face. These yep. are not the only challenges that these student-athletes are facing in this current time in the world. I mean, obviously... Uh, the other issues that have been facing the country is all the political unrest and social injustice. Now, during these challenging times, it's prideful to step back and see the members of the Seton Hall community become leaders for what is right. So recently, the girls put, or the women, excuse me, put together Project Amplify, a vigil for Breonna Taylor that was held back on October 9th on the green, done virtually, and hosted by Desiree Elmore. Take a moment, describe how proud you are to see one of your own players become a beacon of light in these difficult times. It was amazing. And, and you know, through these difficult times, you see people grow. And, and, and I have said to our players, they've taught me more about this than, than I could ever read or, or watch on TV. Because I'm not an African-American person and I'm not, you know, I'm not in their shoes and I'm not a female. So when this first happened way back, you know, I, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to react. And our girls were really good. And it was tough because we were doing it all virtual. You know, I couldn't go see them. It wasn't like we had practice the next day. So we grew and we talked and it was emotional. And there was a lot of frustration involved from them, from me. And um, we stayed together. I think it got us a lot close, closer. 
And one of the things I pledged to them were we were going to continue to give them support and guidance on how to do this. But you guys needed to step up. Well, thanks to Dr. Shauna Cooper uh, of Seton Hall, she's our new executive vice president. She's helped with the support. We've had another um, a, a couple speakers come in. They've helped with support. We've talked to the girls about all registering. We got them all to register to vote. That was important. And so we've had different discussions and different things. But when Desiree said, listen, this is a project I want to do, and her teammates got behind her, it was amazing. And she got over 100 people. They organized all the student unions and student clubs to help and come and support. You know, I, 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 I was touched. I, I couldn't believe it. I had an operation the night before, so I couldn't even go. And I was able to watch it on video. And that was even more impressive to me because they had it set up so well. And, and Desiree, our team, my director of basketball operations, uh, Shalia Lyons, really led this. And I was just, I, I was touched. It was one of the most proudest moments, not as the basketball coach at Seton Hall, but as an alum of Seton Hall that I've had. You know, Coach, it's really amazing. The, these kids are going through these kind of unprecedented times, both from a health scare and from political and, and social troubles. And it's it's amazing how fast they're growing up because, you know, when Mike and I were at school, we were just wondering how fast we can get down to the hall. And it's, it's almost not fair. It's almost like they're losing a, a level of that kind of freedom in their college experience that we didn't. Tom, that's an outstanding point and observation. You're right. Me, you, Mike, you know, we were looking at where's the next party? How can we play intramurals? Like, it was so important to me to, to you know, play intramurals and, and, and all those things. I mean, that was really, you know, our, 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 our big thing. You know, these kids are dealing with light situations. They're in dorms by themselves. There's not as many people in class. They're wearing a mask all the time. They're taking a lot of their classes virtually. On top of all this political unrest they're dealing with, on top of all, 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 all the different things that are happening in our world. Like, it's amazing. But I'm proud of them, and I feel our country will be much stronger 10 years from now because these young ladies and young men will be stronger leaders and are more prepared to be leaders. Tom, I had a solid GPA when I was in school. Don't let my mother know I was partying as much as you're leading on here now. Come on. Like we were in the same fraternity. I know exactly what you were doing. So there's no real good way to make this turn, Coach, so we're just going to do it. You know, we wanted to have you on sooner, right at the end of the season, but we didn't make the list, Coach. It looked like you went on the Internet's version of a talk show circuit. You showed up at CT Scoreboard, at Ball and Gems, at Hall of the Sports. You even did a roundtable with the Women's Basketball Coaching Association. I mean, you were a hot ticket. Just let me know. How early do I got to get in touch with, with Matt Sweeney to, to book your time next year? Hey, you got my number. You can book me anywhere. You and Mike. You know, I listen to your show all the time. I'm always retweeting it. And I'm proud of your show because it's done by people who care and love Seton Hall. And that, that, that to me, puts you at the top. And you, you, you're so well done. I mean, you came to my practice. You gave me some great pointers. <laughs> I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Oh, he's there. Uh, Let me tell you. I know Coach, what, are the, what are the good pointers, though? Oh, my <laughs> goodness. But, but hey, you had a great season last year. But before we go on to it and before we talk about the upcoming season, let's just pause for a second and reflect on some of the accomplishments last year. You know, usually we focus our attention on the on-court accomplishments and forget that these kids are really still student athletes. But 
the Seton Hall women's team did you proud last year. Nine players made the All-Big East academic team. How important is it for your team to excel both on and off the court, Coach? You know, gentlemen, we want our kids to be the next leaders of today. And we tell them in their recruiting process, we want you to be bosses. But if they're not going to take their academics seriously, then they're not going to be a boss. And led by Matt Geibel, um, our academic advisor, and Amanda, who helps them out, and Carissa, who helps out. Those three people have done a great job of helping guide our student athletes. And to their credit, it was really hard because they did a lot of it from March on virtually. And they were a wreck. We just ended our season. We lost a tremendous game. You know, we knew we were going to play in the postseason, whatever postseason that may be. And they get devastated by this. And all of a sudden, they're in midterms. Finals are coming up. And they could have easily said, listen, I'm not doing this. This is terrible. And they didn't. And those three people really helped guide them. But our kids did a wonderful job. And nine is really the most student athletes we've had on honor roll probably in close to 20 years, from what I understand, through Matt and, and his staff. So I was really proud of our girls for that. And, you know, it embodies what we believe in at Seton Hall, you know, getting a quality education and having great help from the people of Seton Hall. Well, the, the success wasn't limited to the classroom. You, you had an excellent year last year. You went 19 and 12 overall, 11 and 7 in conference. And the last time we saw the Pirates, they took the court and lost to number one seeded DePaul in the Big East Tournament semifinal. What a spectacular game, Coach. I mean, the, the game was on the TV here at the Casa de Kaharski. The girls were watching. And it just seemed like you couldn't just make that one defensive stop because you guys were taking their punches and counter-punching. But it seemed like every time you scored, DePaul had an answer for you. Yeah, we tied the game with about four minutes to go. And I, I, I remember saying in, 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 in right before the media timeout, if we can get one more stop and take the lead at this point, we're going to have a great chance. But we just couldn't. And, and to DePaul's credit, they scored the ball. And um, we had a couple opportunities, and we we just we just missed, and um, it really was tough. I mean, you know, it was it was a great challenge for our girls. You know, we played on their home court, which was, was which was tough. I'm um, in a situation where they're very comfortable. Um, we were we played like it. We had played there many times before. I was really impressed with our freshman backcourt. They both played tremendous that day. Um, Desiree Elmore did everything she you know wanted to in that game. And it was just a great game, and I think. As 19 and 12 is good, it's, 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 it's not great, but it's good. But we were two and three without Shadeen Samuels, the preseason player of the year. So while everyone assumed we were going to be an NIT, there were three different prognostications. Two did not have us in, and one had us in as a 10 seed. And I remember asking why we were in, and that person said, when you break down your games with Shadeen, look how good you are. And then look at how you ended your season against the best team, a team that was a four seed in the tournament, that's something that will would have been factored in. And, a, you know, while people just look at the RPI number, you can't. You have to look at games that we played without arguably the best player in the league. And we were, you know, at that point, um, you know, 17 and nine without her and it played really well. What a concept, Coach. The actual eye test, like looking to see what's quality basketball <laughs> versus just reading analytics on a piece of paper. I mean, come on. What's, what's happening nowadays? I mean, I, I agree that the team was playing at a high note. And, and playing the best we had played all year. And I think that's something that that, that person who did that bracket was just like very adamant about. Um, you know, it's not just about analytics and numbers. It's also about 
like you said, eye test. I mean, Marquette lost in the finals by 35, 40 points. We had just beat Marquette two weeks earlier on our floor by by 15 points. So, like, everyone just assumed. Like, no, no, you can't just assume. And you have to, again, take into fact injuries. And when we had Shadeen, we were fantastic. So you were making the postseason in some case, whether you're going to the NIT, whether you're going to the NCAAs, but then obviously the world kind of came to a halt. How difficult was it to have that season end? On that note, as the COVID-19 pandemic brought that halt to the season. I'll never forget it because I was going to go to the men's quarterfinal game that Thursday. We had practiced that Thursday. That was our first day at back. And we were giving the girls the weekend off, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because we were going to find out Monday which tournament we were going to go into. If it was the NIT, we were told we were going to be a top four or five seed. We were going to host at least three of the games. If it was the NCAA, we knew we'd be an 11 seed or, uh, you know, and, and and probably have a you know tremendous challenge ahead of us. With that being said, you know, that Thursday, all of a sudden they say there's no fans. But um, uh, Brian Felt and his staff contacted me and said, listen, we're allowed a certain amount of administrators. Why don't you come as an administrator? I'm like, wow, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to go Thursday night. It's going to be like, you know, 300 people there. And it just shows how great, you know, Brian is and his staff. So I was, I called my wife. I'm like, I'm going to the game. She's like, well, me too. I'm like, no, just me. <laughs> yeah. you know, that didn't go over well, but it was great. And, and I was so excited. And then all of a sudden you see what's going on on TV and you see, and you're like, this is not good. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden, I start to think we're probably not going to even end up playing. So we never even got a chance to meet the team at the end of the year. We told a lot of them, a lot of them had gone home for the long weekend. Those of them that didn't, we, you know, met for a few minutes on Monday, but it was only partial of the kids. And I never got a chance to say goodbye and honor our three seniors because you asked me what really hurt, where we, we had three of the best people that are seniors. And it was great. I think we, we, we embodied a lot of our men's program. I'm not mad from, yes, I thought our men's program could have gone to the final four. I thought they were great. But those guys, that's who I felt bad for. They were great guys. They let, left everything on the court. These weren't a bunch of just regular people. They, they, they bled Seton Hall. Obviously, Miles, but Quincy and Roe, like, they, they believed in Seton Hall. Like, when they came to our games, they walked around campus and they would say hello to anyone. They, they were great guys. And I felt bad for those six seniors because Shadeen, um, Alexis Lewis, one of the best people I've ever coached, Barbara Johnson, they gave it everything they had, and they didn't deserve to end their careers this way. It was it was devastating. Well, they, they definitely gave it everything they had because there were times throughout that year that you guys were playing at a high level and pushed some of the better competition on your schedule. You got that two-point loss at home to Princeton. You had the close battle against number four UConn, which you led by nine right out of the gate to end the first quarter. You took them right to the, down to the distance in the fourth before they started to create some distance. And then obviously we have the aforementioned Big E semifinal game. How excited were you about the competitiveness and the fight that that team brought to the court, especially at times with Shadim being out hurt? Yeah, and you know, you bring out the Princeton game and you know, that, that's a team that I think went 28 and one. We lost by two points and Shadim didn't play. Like, like people don't realize that, you know, that, that was a big thing. And then you, you know, you, you look at our, you know, all, all of our games at DePaul were, were all really close and all really tough. And, you know, and, 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 and it was just hard. I, I just was really proud. This was my, one of my favorite teams I've ever coached in, in my 20 years as D1 head coach, because I never once 
question how hard they play. They wanted to scrimmage every day in practice. They had a good time. They were competitive. I never once was just like, wow, are these kids not going to be ready to play? They were ready to play. They wanted to play basketball. They enjoyed playing basketball. I'll give you a quick story. Alexis Lewis, um, a transfer from Iona, sat out the year before, you know, played good, and we thought she'd be a good player. She came back from the summer, and I'm like, wow, she's going to be really good. So she started the season off. She played well. And then she had a bad slump for three or four games where she was terrible. So I'll never forget, we came back from our road trip of losing to DePaul and losing to Marquette, and, and the Marquette game was terrible. They manhandled us. They beat us up physically. We didn't – we weren't tough. And I'll never forget uh, driving home with my assistant that night. I said, you know, I'm really worried about losing the team, so I'm going to bring the three seniors in. And I brought them in individually. I said, guys, what am I doing wrong? How can I help? How can I fix this? And and to a, a person, but especially Alexis, Alexis goes, no, it's my fault. I go, no, no, no. I say it's my fault. She goes, Coach B. I'm a senior. I'm a fifth-year kid. I'm playing poorly. I have to fix it. But I promise you, I will fix it. She had 28 the next game. Like, wow. like they took ownership, guys. How rare is that in today's society? Let alone with young people. Let alone with anyone. And all three of them: Barbara, Shadine. But that Alexis Lewis meeting was probably the most relieving, enjoyable meeting I've ever had in my life. She goes, "No, no it's me." I'll fix it. I'm like, well, no. She goes, no, it is me. She's like, we don't need to discuss this. So that's where I want to go next. You're going through all these trials and tribulations, and the team is gaining experience. They're overcoming adversity. And obviously, the players are going to come back for this year's program are kind of observing how to kind of overcome that adversity and watching how else a senior should lead the team. You know, how do you think those experiences are going to pay dividends for this upcoming season? I'm so happy you asked that question. So today in practice, Lauren Park Lane is going from a, a fiery, tough, good point guard to a tremendous point guard. She's going to be one of the best point guards in the Big East and in the country. She's 5'2". She doesn't look like much, but she's got a heart of a lion. She's gotten stronger. She worked on her game the whole pandemic. So we have a thing they have to sign in for breakfast 30 minutes before um, for two reasons. One, we want to make sure they eat because we have food for them. And two, we want to just make sure they're there. I mean, you know, you don't want to find out two minutes before someone's not there and God forbid you don't know where they are. So she forgot to sign in. So she ends up, she's been, she was there for 45 minutes, an hour. She was probably shooting on the, on the floor, to be honest with you. She's like, no, I forgot. I did have this. So we met and then, so I lined them up on the line and I'm like, guys, we know we have, a, Lauren, were you here? She goes, yes. I go, did you sign in? She goes, no, Coach B, I didn't. It's my fault. I said, okay, so we're going to run. She goes, fine. She finished first in everything we did. So that leadership was looked at from the three people before her, but it also showed what a great leader she is. She could have been like, this stinks. You know, it's BS. I was here. He's on my case because he didn't do it. That's and what I would have said. said. That's, that's what I would have said. <laughs> right. So she could have made the sprint in and finished ninth in, on the team. She ran it as hard as she's ever ran it. And I was so proud of her because then we had to run another. So she gets up the line, ready to run another. I go, why don't you just make a free throw? We don't have to do it. She went up to the line. She switched the free throw and she goes, I gotcha. And like, that's what is beautiful about last year's team teaching this year, but why I think we have not only a good team now, but we're going to have a great team in the future. You know, a kid like that could have been like, listen, I'm one of your best players. You're breaking my chops because I didn't sign a piece of paper. No, she understood what we needed. Well, Coach, to your point about your seniors that graduated last year, I had the honor last year to interview Shadeen after your practice. And I'll tell you, it was a quick interview, but I'll tell you what stood out the most. We went into a walk the plank, and I asked her the typical question we ask players. And I, I asked her, what is the most points you've scored in any game? 
And we sat there in kind of silence for a little bit. And she looked at me and she said, I don't know. Now, here's a girl who scored 20 points a game the previous season. She probably could, she was probably lighting it up upstate New York like you, like no one's business when she was in high school. And she literally couldn't tell me what she scored. It was such a, it was, it was, she's such a humble person in my opinion. It was like, I'll tell you, you ask the guys, they'll tell you, I scored 63 points in a game on a summer league. It was raining a little bit. It was, the sun was coming in from this side and she just couldn't do it. It was all about team. Every question came back to the same thing. Team, team, team. It was great. And you're doing a great job with them. So going back to that preseason talk about Shadeen last year, the injuries really caused her to miss some games and slowed her down in the games when she came back. But the team seemed to have that next girl up mentality. Other teammates stepping up when circumstances called for it. How did that help the overall development of the players who were returning? So much. And, and, and those things you say about Shadeen are so true. Just a one, Shadeen's a I'll go down as an all-time great player here, but she's also going to go down as an all-time great person. Like humble, almost too humble to be honest with you. I wish she w- walked out with a little Miles Powell swag every now and then. <laughs> just, you know, it, because it, that that I think that's what makes him great. There's a little swag, but she she, she that's just not Shadeen, and, and and she was great, a tremendous teammate too, tremendous teammate. Um, I I just think you know Tom, it's going to help us so much because you know as we now have UConn in the league, which makes it so much more difficult you're going to have to fight through a lot of adversity you're going to have to go into games with you know confidence because if you don't then you're going to get stepped on and i think these seniors help lay the foundation and these freshmen especially you know lauren and maya maya really developed a lot through you know playing with these kids well let's talk about some of your girls that are coming back here and let's start with your senior leader Desiree Elmore. She was one of three players in the Big East that were selected as unanimous first team preseason for this upcoming year. She led the team last year with six double doubles. She had 13 points a game which was third best on the team. 7.2 rebounds, second best. She was third in assists, first in blocks, all over the scorecard. And her signature game, Mike and I love these players that take their game to next level in the most important games. And she did with a 26-13 and 13 night against DePaul in the Big East Tournament. Is Desiree going to be the unquestioned leader this year after that breakout year she had last year? Yeah, I, I think she's clearly one of the best players. I didn't even realize she was one of only three people to be unanimous selected um, for us team, which is, you know, says a lot because uh, I can imagine who the other people are. You know, Des comes to play, and Des has gotten herself in great shape. And I'm really proud of Des. And she, she's become, a, you know, an outstanding student. She's become an out, outstanding competitor, and she's in great shape. I mean, she's almost too thin right now. So she's, she's, she's worked so hard on her conditioning and so hard on her game. I mean, we, if we're going to be an NCAA team this year, Desiree needs to play like we know she can. But the one thing I don't question about Desiree is it's hard to go from second banana to first banana. I always say that. You know, Des had Shadeen. You know, Shadeen had someone else. It's hard. But Des is no question in my mind Des is going to be able to do that. I think Des is going to relish that role. I really do. And I could tell in practice how dominant she is from a competitive standpoint that she's going to have a chance to be one of the better 
you know, players for sure in, in the Big East, and we need her to be. So how much of the scoring burden will she have to shoulder with Shadeen and Alexis graduating last year? You know, Tom, I, I think she's going to have to obviously increase her scoring, which I, I don't think is going to be an issue. But, you know, I, I put my arm around Des today as we were scrimmaging. I said, Des, I think you're going to lead the league minus point guards and assists. I do. She's a tremendous passer and tremendous understanding of the game. Um, you know, I think she understands – everyone understands our system really well, which is obviously a pace and space system, which is, you know, kind of put in by our – uh, ex Seton Hall men's star Jose Rabinbas. I always joke with Jose; he's on the Final Four banner. But he's really instituted a great offense with, you know, kind of the ideas I want. He's instituted a great, done a great job with that. And I think Des, you know, as we spread the floor, she's just such a tremendous passer. I think she's going to average three, four, five assists a game. So, Coach, in one of your earlier answers, you foreshadowed to not only is this team getting better in their development, but you're excited about the future of the program. And to me, it's kind of obvious because you have the potential for a dynamic superstar backcourt that is coming together. You got Maya Jackson, a sophomore, all Big East rookie team last year, 10 points a game, 40% from three-point range, had a career game against UConn with 21 points, and then followed it up with another career high in front of her friends and family at Xavier, 250 people in the building, didn't phase her, 25 points. And then you got her, her backcourt mate, you talked about earlier about leadership and stepping up Lauren Park Lane, also a sophomore led the team last year in assists 4.2 a game fourth in the big East overall with 129 started all 31 games as a freshman. And her signature performance was 17 points and seven assists in the big East tournament quarters versus Butler. How dynamic is that duo going to be as sophomores with a year under their belt? Tremendous. And basically with the new NCAA rule, they're almost freshmen because they have four years. <laughs> uh, and, and our kids don't leave to go to the pros early, you know? So I think you, you, you talk about the future. I mean, I, I can't say enough how great a worker Maya Jackson is. You know, her parents are, are tremendous leaders and tremendous people. Her dad's a football coach and she plays like a football player. She's tough. She's fearless. She never takes a playoff in practice. She's on time. She's early. She tries to unite the team. Her, her, her biggest downfall is she puts a lot of pressure on herself. But she just gets better in practice. She's a much better player than she ended the season. And she's a, really our, our best defensive guard. And Lauren, on the other hand, it, it, it took the time off in April, May, June, July. Her parents were like, listen, you got a lot of time off. Let's go out and work on your game. They hired a trainer, and they really work with Lauren. Because, again, they get it. And these two kids are great players because they have great parents. But Lauren Park Lane, you can't look at her and, and think, oh, you know, she's not much. She's a dynamic player. She shoots the ball well. She's fast. She keeps her pace up. You know, she's a Muggsy Bogues type player for those people who remember it. Like, you know, very undersized guard, but she can really shoot it. And she has just gotten – I haven't seen a player improve that much from freshman and sophomore year in a long time. All right, so I'll amend my next good. question. I'll amend my next question then. So by the end of their five years, <laughs> how special of a backcourt can they become in like the history of the program? You know, we, we, we have the greatest backcourt in the history of the program with Dee Dee Simmons and Deja Simmons. I mean, there's none better. Um, you know, Jody Brooks had, had, had great players to play with her. And obviously she was one of the greatest players to ever play, but Dee Dee and Deja were a combination. They, you know, we were 28 and six that year. I mean, some other, obviously Todd Richardson was a great player with her, but those two were amazing. These two have a chance to go down as, as some of the you know top three, four backcourts of all time. They're that good, but they're that 
good people that want to get better. They don't give an attitude. They never miss practice. They they fight through injuries. Like they don't. There's no there's no issues with them. They come to practice every day. They're the easiest people in the world to coach. I'll tell you, Maya Jackson may have the nicest looking jump shot in either the men's or the women's leagues in the Big East, man. She just, it's just butter. Yeah, and it's its not by accident. She works really hard, and um, she's in the gym all the time shooting. I mean, all the time. Coach, let's talk about other potential breakout players. You're also bringing back uh, junior Femi Fanuis, who only played 18 games last year due to injury. Do you think she could break out in terms of minutes and production this year? She, she, she started her freshman year off, averaged over eight points a game uh, on a good team, tore her Achilles. She missed, you know, the rest of that year and then the first half of, uh, of her of last year. She came back and she was, you know, it was hard for her. And she had a couple of good games, but she wasn't consistent. I think she worked harder over the summer. Um, she did sprain her ACL, so she's been out for a little while. She's um, actually, we had a meeting tonight. Um, fully cleared now. I think she's done individuals for about, you know, 15, 20 days. She looks good in them. But guys, if we're going to be a first, second, third, fourth place team, NCAA at-large bid, Femi needs to be a, a significant contributor. And there's no doubt in my mind she can be. She's an outstanding competitor. She's physical. She's what we don't have. Physical, tough, fearless inside player who's really developed a great jump shot and I think has a chance to be a special player. But She's got to stay injury-free, and she's got to be stay committed to, to the game. I mean, that, that that's a big thing. If she stays committed to the game, she's got a chance to be special. All right, Coach. This is my favorite part on these season preview podcasts. You get to learn about the new faces that are joining the program. You have six players that are putting on Pirate Blue for the first time, two transfers, four freshmen. Let, let's start with the transfers. You have Cretacea Dean uh, from Trinity Valley Community College. And she's got just an, a list of accolades. Finished third team All-American at the junior college level. And as a sophomore, she averaged 19 points a game and finished first team All-American at the junior college level. And then also you add Maya Bembry out of Penn State, one season for the Nittany Lions. But when she was at West Orange High School, she was their all-time leading scorer, all-time leading rebounder. And she was on three straight Essex County uh, Player of the Year award trophies. So, I mean, you got some real good talent coming in, but where do you see those two players making an impact on next year's roster? Well, we'll start with Maya. Maya, Maya's still awaiting, um, you know, approval from the NCAA as a transfer. Uh, I, I don't see it being an issue because they've basically let everyone become transfers. I mean, you know, our men lost two kids um, that transferred, both got eligible. We had a young lady leave um, and, and become eligible. So, you know, none of them had the criteria of Maya, who was at Penn State, was not recruited by that coaching staff um, ha- has um, come back home to, to help take care of her parents in this COVID situation um, in a major that Seton Hall has in a business major. Cause she switched from non-business to business. As we all know, our business programs top 100 in the country. I, I-, I don't see that. We're just waiting her transfer um, approval. Um, everyone's getting it. So I would be disappointed if she didn't, if she doesn't um, for some reason, then, you know, obviously we're going to have to um, attack that in a different way. But you expect her to get it. She Coach, if, if, if Max McClung can get a transfer from Georgetown to Texas Tech just because he doesn't like his minutes and where the program is going, shouldn't that's, everybody get a waiver at this point? That's exactly right. And he's from Virginia and he left to go farther away. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's mind boggling to me that it's wait, it's taken this long. And, uh, you know, 
I have to tell you, I, I think eventually they're just going to let next year. They're letting everyone transfer without right, it. Right. I, I think this year they're going to have to do that as well, especially since it's a free year and they're so behind on the waivers. I mean, she's had her waiver in for over 90 days and we're waiting on it. So um, there's been a lot of incompetence going on. So we need, we, we need to clear that up and we will, we have a great compliance department at Seton hall um, and they're working uh, furiously to make this happen, but she's a great player. I'm six one um, local product. Um, you know, went to Penn State, was a freshman on an upperclassman team with a new coaching staff that didn't recruit her. Um, you know, so she struggled a little bit. So, but now she's home. She's a great kid, one of my favorite kids that I, I, I've coached in a long time. Going to get better. We'll, we'll flourish in our system. Um, we'll be, you know, a, a tremendous asset to us. So we'll play tons of minutes. And I think, you know, um, when she gets on the floor, everyone's going to love her. Um, just a great kid. Uh, Cortesia, we call her Nunu. It, it is difficult to say this, but um, she's out for the year. Um, she was working out in April because um, she loves to play basketball and she tore her Achilles. Um, she looks great. She's walking fine. She's doing a lot of form shooting, but she's a big time player. Um, she was recruited by all power five schools in Seton Hall. And as, this sounds terrible, but COVID really helped us get her. She couldn't do any visits. Because she was going to look at all the Power Fives, a lot of the local Power Fives, Texas A&M, LSU. They all wanted her to visit. At the end of the day, she couldn't visit any of them. So she was very concerned on where to go. Well, Jasmine Smith um, was her teammate at Trinity Valley, and her coach was a good friend of ours. So she was concerned, like, you know, I can't visit anyone. What do I do? So we, we got involved in the recruiting process, and we basically – then with Jasmine convinced her Seton Hall is the right place because while you don't know anything about anyone, you know, a player here who talks highly of the, uh, of the coaching staff and her teammates, this is a place you should come to be comfortable. You know, we hit it off well on the phone, my staff and her, and you know, she chose to us and we were like, wow, we have a first or second all time big East player at this point. And um, you know, then she got hurt, but you know, down the line, it'll help us. We'll have her for two more years. Um, I, I think, you know, we obviously don't know if Des is going to stay or not um, because of, you know, she's going to have a lot of opportunities. But if she does stay, you know, she'll really, you know, help support Des. If she doesn't stay, then she's, uh, if Des doesn't stay, then I think uh, Curtesi is going to step in and, you know, become a double digit scorer in the Big East right away. She's a big time player. I don't know what to say, Coach. We're talking about the eye test with resumes, and now we're talking about word of mouth referral recruiting. What, what are we going back and, and turning back the clock to the grassroots of basketball here? What's no. going on? Our staff did a great job, and you know we took a lot advantage of a lot of things that a lot of people like Maya Bembry. We had just recruited her, so she knew us. I mean, she could have gone to many Power Five schools as well. I mean, she came home. She wanted to be with her family, help take care of her family, but she also felt comfortable with us. And I'll never even forget during the recruiting process, we have such a great leader in Dean Strouser. She gets on um, and, 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 and uh, Maya calls her and Dean Strouser gets on and, and talks about our business program and basically gives all the attributes of what such a great business program we have. There's not too many deans in the country that would do that. And she did that. And I, I think without her doing that, we might not have gotten it. Now, I think it's important. It's that whole community aspect of Seton Hall recruiting. You're seeing it on the men's side. You're seeing Pookie Wigginton help bring Tyler Powell yes. to the men's program. You also have uh, Trey Jackson, who was previously recruited by Seton Hall before going to Missouri. He was familiar with the campus and the program, so it made it easier for him to kind of recommit during his transfer window. It, it just makes sense. You have to adapt in a ever-changing environment, specifically 2020, of all things. All right, let's... If, if you don't adapt, Mike, you're so right. If you don't adapt, 
then you can't succeed. You know, a lot of, I know a lot of coaching staffs took the COVID break as, as, a, as, a, as a way of, you know, vacation and, and our staff did not. And that's how, you know, we got those two players in particular, great players, but we've also laid a lot of um, seeds for other kids down the line, you know, younger high school kids that we spent a lot of time doing a lot of Zoom calls with and setting the foundation for a great recruiting classes down the line. Right, so let's do that. Let's talk about the four freshmen that you actually did recruit for the upcoming season. You got uh, McKenna Minter out of Lincoln, Nebraska, Brittany Range out of Middleburg, Florida, Skylar Treadwell, Hagerstown, Maryland, and Amari Wright, Jacksonville, Florida, all of them prolifically scoring guards. Uh, but what was interesting to me is the ge geography. We talked about this last year with your recruiting. A lot of it was not centralized around New Jersey or even the surrounding tri-state. You've gone out to Texas, the Midwest, Florida, and you continue to go in that direction. Why have you been so successful in kind of being able to maneuver outside of your local background in recruiting? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, our staff led by our recruiting coordinator, Lauren DeFalco, but, you know, her, Marissa Flagg, um, Jose, um, all, all, all try and make a lot of connections, a lot with a lot of the AU coaches and the high school coaches first and foremost. And we had recruited some kids from Florida in the past. Um, some of them worked out, some of them didn't. But so we had good connections there. And, and I think that was important. Um, you know, guys, I, we want to recruit the local kids. I think it's important that we keep the best players in Jersey here. But it's hard. You know, seeing all is about the people. We don't have the biggest buildings and all this new stuff. But at the end of the day, these kids, we do recruit them. And while they might not choose us the first time, a lot of times they bounce back. So we laid a strong foundation with Jersey kids. Look at Maya Bembry. We got her on the rebound because as beautiful as maybe Penn State's gym might be or facilities, and I love Walsh, I wouldn't trade for anything. You know, she came back and was just like, it's the people that I'm more comfortable with. So, you know, we got to sell that. These Florida kids and Texas kids, we've just been fortunate just knowing these coaches and and really thinking out of the box. Um, you know, we got a great player in Maya from Ohio that's really helped us. And, you know, and Femi from Florida. They, 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 you know, if Femi was an East Coast kid, I think she would have gone to a Power 5 school. She just didn't get seen as much. Um, you know, if, and she's obviously unfortunately been injured, but if, if she was healthy, she she's going to be really good. Um, and some of the other kids have just done a good job. Jasmine Smith's been a good addition. Her, her numbers don't dictate how good a player she is for us from Trinity Valley. So, you know, and she helped us recruit Cortesia because we don't get Cortesia without Jasmine. So Mike mentioned how prolific these four incoming freshmen were as scorers last year, but what stood out to me was how well they hit the glass, Coach. Is this just coincidence, or did your recruiting put a particular emphasis around finding players who had this element in their game? No, um, we, we need to rebound the ball. I mean, Shadeen was a great defender and a great rebounder. You really have to look at how good she did. And you guys watch the games. Like, she's really good that way. Like, I don't think you can ever replace Shadeen with one person. So we said, what is going to be a big weakness in our program? It's rebounding. Because rebounding starts our transitional game. Once we get going in transition, we're, we're one of the best teams in the country. But we can't go in transition unless we rebound the ball. And that's where we do need Femi this year. But we need some of these freshmen to step up. Like, I, I think Skylar has a chance to really help us out up front. She shoots the ball really well. She's got good size. She's got to get more aggressive. You know, I, I think McKenna Minter is for a guard, one of the more athletic guards that we've had in a long time. Her father is Mike Minter, who was a football star at Carolina, holds a Super Bowl record for tackles in the game. He played the second half on a broken ankle. So she embodies a really tough physical kid. 
Um, you know, Brittany and, and Amari are, are, are getting there. They're, they, they've both been hampered by some injuries. They're both talented. Um, they, they, they both are successful, and Brittany's a great shooter. Amari's, a, you know, got a creativity as a point guard that, you know, we certainly could use. Um, but they have to get healthy. But Skylar and McKenna have been the more healthy of the two and uh, the four, and they've really helped um, really impress um, us on the floor because we see them every day. So, Coach, this past week really got mics in mind, juices flowing with the media days. It became real all of a sudden. You know, we've been waiting for this season to start, and we couldn't it's, – it's now here, and we're ready for this. So we just want to pick apart a few things. Uh, you guys were picked right in the middle of that new 11-team Big East. Do you feel that sixth is a fair, a fair assessment of this team? I mean, I think we will finish higher than six, but I, I think where we were picked is, is about correct. I mean, St. John's returns, you know, two prolific scorers while we return one prolific score. Um, Creighton returns two kids that scored over, I think, 13 or 14 points a game and have a better, very veteran team. So I, I think those two, and obviously Marquette and DePaul, um, you know, have been really strong programs in the past couple of years. So I, I think we're picked where we belong. We're only a couple points behind Creighton. So, you know, we, we've got to beat those teams and we've got to make sure we take care of the teams below us. I mean, you know, before I got here eight years ago, I don't think that too many people thought that Seton Hall's going to be picked ahead of, you know, um, schools such as Villanova, Georgetown. So, you know, we, we, we made strides even in that way. But, you know, we're not satisfied or discouraged that we're picked six. It is what it is. We know we are a better team, but we have to go out and prove it. And we have to play better than average to be better. Um, we've got to play above average. All right, coach. So Tom was joking about our new deep thoughts with Kevin Willard segment as we kind of break down some of his uh, sound bites or, or quotes in the media. The one that kind of jumped out for me from the media day session on Wednesday was you saying it's going to be hard to win the tournament, alluding to the Big East tournament. So you want to have a tough non-conference schedule if you want that at-large bid. It seems like scheduling right now has been a challenge for everyone. Any insight as to what those opponents are going to be for the out-of-conference with only 26 days to go? We're not seeing anything in any of the write-ups or any of the tweets. It's all kind of kept under wraps. Come on, give us give us the yeah, insights. We, we have them, and I'll share them with you. And, you know, it's, it's been very hard because I took a different approach, really. You know, on the women's side, we didn't have many MTEs. We had hardly any. And we had a couple of tournaments that were going to be based in Florida. And basically back then, Florida was a, a, a difficult spot to go to. So thankfully, with the help of our administration, which, you know, thankfully, you know, Brian and Luke, we were able to schedule five home games. So we made a, a concerted effort to schedule teams only in the New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut area because we all would follow the same COVID rules. We also wanted to make a concerted effort that these schools would also follow protocol. So we signed, we got three teams from the MAC. We got the defending champions from last year, Ryder. We have the team that's picked first this year in Fairfield. And then we have St. Peter's, which is a local game because we knew, you know, 20 minutes away, if we had to move it, switch it, it was going to be easier. So those are our first three games. We start with Ryder on the 25th. We go with Peters on the 28th. And then we go with Fairfield on the 30th. And, you know, three teams from the MAC, which is a great conference, all local, all under the same jurisdiction that we're going to have. Connecticut, New Jersey, and uh, New York. We didn't even want to go into Pennsylvania because even right now, Pennsylvania is having their sorts of issues, and we didn't want to take that chance. And then we, we're, we're going to play Fordham, which I think is picked first or second in the A-10 this year. Um, so that was a big thing. So we'll play them. And then our last game, right now, it's just a local team in Wagner, and I think they're the ones who agreed 
on us. Um, we were looking at a bunch of different schools, more max schools, um, a couple of eight, 10 schools, but like the LaSalle that made us nervous because they're in Pennsylvania, you know, St. Joe's made us nervous because they're in Pennsylvania and we didn't know if they would follow the same COVID protocols as New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Cause as you guys I'm sure have read, those three governors have, have almost formed a coalition together. So that's why I did it. I didn't feel we didn't have a lot of MTE choices. The only ones we were told were the ones in Florida, and that wasn't something we were comfortable with, or there was one in D.C., and that was certainly I wasn't comfortable with that one either. Okay, so let, let's assume that the non-conference plays out, let, let's say marginally, and now yep. you come into Big East play, and potentially you could go 0-4 against DePaul and UConn just because of the, the powerhouse programs that they have. Could a team from the Big East potentially build a strong enough resume in conference if they went 0-4? against those two programs? I do. I, I think you, you you need to finish in the top four to have a, you know, a, especially this year. I think the top four teams in the Big East will make the NCAA tournament. There's no doubt. If you're fifth, I think you're going to have to win all your non-league games and hope a team like Fairfield wins the MAC or Ryder wins the MAC and a team like Fordham wins the A-10. If they both all finish in the middle of the road, then that non-league schedule is going to be mediocre. Um, I don't know how much it'll be way or not way if it's mediocre because I can only play so many teams, you know, in our area. But I think if those teams can be successful, I do think Fordham and Fairfield or Ryder will, will either win their league or be in the top, you know, one, two. Um, I, I think we have to take care of business, though. I mean, I think, you know, DePaul is beatable. We're going to have to try and win that game and or especially your home game. And then obviously be successful against the St. John's and the Cradens and Marquette. You know, we split with Marquette last year. Um, split with Creighton last year. So I think, you know, we've got to beat those teams in order to have a chance at an at-large. So, Coach, Mike and I were debating this earlier this week in regards to the move of the Women's Big East Tournament over to the Mohegan Sun. Now, the tournament's going to be tough enough to win anyway, trying to have to go through DePaul and UConn again. I hate to sound like a broken record here. You're accurate. But what do you think about the move to that arena? You know, I think in today's world, everything's dictated by finances. Our women's tournament, which was in Chicago for five of the six years, lost an average of two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. That's a lot of money. At UConn, when they've had it there, the Big East, but also in the American Conference, they made they made a profit each year. Maybe the profit was only fifty thousand or a hundred thousand or twenty-five thousand, whatever it may be. But you're talking a quarter of a million dollar difference at least. So you know, as someone who's run his own business and as people who who work in the business world, we all know. Business does matter. So you know what? It's it, it's it's hard to play on the opponent's home floor. But you know what? When St. John's is really good, then our, our you know the rest of the Big East has to play there too. And why do they play at the Garden? Because it's the world's most famous arena. We're playing at the Mohegan Sun because when you get six to eight thousand fans a game a, a, a session, because even the UConn fans go there. But now I like the fact that our our parents have never been able to go. It's been five years in Chicago and one year in Marquette. We could never go this year. We're going to have buses of fans. Obviously, when we're allowed to have fans, full band, full cheerleaders. I mean, those things are important. Yeah, it sucks to play UConn, and it sucks to play them on their home court. But if we get to that game, I'm going to be happy. Get the buses ready. Get that blue and white up the up the freeway and get over there to Mohegan Sun. Coach, you've been great. But as you know, before we let our guests go, we make them walk the plank. Now, we normally don't do this with returning guests, but Brian Felt called us out on it. So we came up with a brand spanking new walk the plank for you, COVID-19 style. 
So you know the rules. We're going to ask you questions rapid fire. Answer them rapid fire as you can and don't give it too much thought. Let's go. And I'm lucky to have such a great boss in Brian Felt because I have to tell you, you talk about someone who bleeds Seton Hall, he bleeds it. And he's a really great leader. I mean, he, he replaced a great leader in Pat Lyons. And I, you know, I'm blessed to have these gentlemen who have really helped our program a lot as well. Coach, the questions are not going to get easier if you butter up Brian here, okay? <laughs> not the way it works. All right, here we go. Walk the plank, pandemic special. Question number one, number of Zoom recruiting calls you've made. 79. Damn, he's on it. He is on it. Number two, favorite outdoor indoor activity to pass the time. Oh, uh, we we really gotten become good puzzle makers. Uh, longest time in between a particular shave. You know, I, I didn't three days. <laughs> favorite binge show. Oh, uh, you know, we, we watch Criminal Minds like it's it's no joke here. Favorite Left Coast Pirates interview this summer. I, I would tell you. Brian Feltz was really good. I enjoyed that, and, and, I, and I thought you guys had great banter with him. Not allowed. No, no, throw out Brian. <laughs> no, Brian, Brian Feltz counts. Brian Come on. We graduated together. Brian Feltz counts. <laughs> no, it does and not because he's my boss. Because he had, you guys had good banter with it him. Was, I, it was. Good. It was good. I enjoyed that good. one. I did. Like, he, he, he's so relaxed on it. You could just tell, and it was a fun interview. I, I enjoyed that as well. He let us bust. His Otherwise, I'll say Shadeen Samuels because. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bon bonus question: With all these Zoom calls, pants or no pants while on the Zoom call? Oh, I'm fully dressed. I cannot think <laughs> unless I am dressed and prepared. I'm not one of those guys who can only wear a shirt. I, I I dress up to dress up. Congratulations, Coach! You have walked the plank. I have to tell you, you guys don't make it easy. But I'm doing my best. <laughs> You sound like our wives now. Of course, we don't make it easy. But, Coach, it's late on the East Coast. We can't thank you enough for coming on again. You're one of our favorite people to have on. Good luck in the upcoming season. You know I love your shows, and I love listening to all of them. You know, I appreciate everything. You know, your support is great. You know, we are going to make a trip out to the West Coast, um, if not um, next year the year after. But we do want to play in the West Coast. I, I, I love the, the the California area a lot and we, we are trying to still continue to recruit out there so we'll definitely be out there in the next year for sure coach Tony Bazella everybody if you've enjoyed this podcast please listen to our previous podcast with former pirate greats Mark Bryant Kadeen Carrington Arturis Karnishevis Jerry Walker and Shaheen Holloway for Tommy Chilkaharski this is Mike Dizzy Dizzy and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates Thank <laughs> you.